Um, well, my name is Ben Fuquay. I'm one of the young adult pastors here under Tyler's leadership, and uh, I'm excited to get to preach tonight. I'm excited about getting to open up the Word and uh, kind of walk through the series that we've been in. I got a couple of quick announcements, um, and, uh, and I really want us to... Yeah, I left this. Thank you, sir. So um, if you're not familiar with uh, what we're doing, partnering with Adara, we'd love for you to get familiar with it. It's an awesome thing. I'm not going into a whole lot of detail, but I would really recommend you talk to, if you're plugged into a small group leader, talk to your small group and check in with them um, on, uh, on how we're doing and, and how we as small groups are helping uh, serve Adara and, and collect some money to pay for, uh, for some kids' lunches. It's an awesome thing. Uh, the other announcements I had were uh, we're going to Belize on a mission trip uh, soon. Yeah, it's going to be sick. Uh, we are going to Belize um, at the end of July, so uh, we'd really love for you to start praying about that. If you want more information, we've got flyers in the back, and we'd love for, uh, for you to grab one of those on your way out. It, it doesn't mean you're committing to anything, it just means fill it out, and then we're going to contact you and kind of give you more information on here's what the trip looks like, uh, here's what we're doing, and we'd love to make that more of a personal connection. So fill out one of those cards, even if you're just remotely interested uh, fill one of those things out, and we'll contact you just to give you more details. And then finally, uh, wanted to let you guys know about next week, too. Next week, we're having a night of worship. It's going to be awesome. Casey and Richard and, and their team are, um, are going to get real creative, and it's going to be a really, really neat night. I know a lot of college students will be gone by then. A lot of them will have finals right in the middle of finals week. So um, if you're a college student, if you're still in town, come and worship and um, unplug for a little bit. But uh, for the rest of us, for most of us, uh, we just want this to be a really neat night where we can just worship our Lord and Savior all night. So, uh, so get excited about that and invite people. Uh, invite people to that because it'll be a neat thing. Yeah, that was a clap. You can start that clap, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want to leave you hanging. I heard two slow claps. I just felt bad for you. Um, no, that's great. So, uh, so that's where we're going and that's uh, what, uh, what the next couple weeks are going to look like. <clears throat> we've been going through this series, Vital Signs. Uh, in it, we've had six weeks where we've really tried to unpack questions that Tyler and I um, thought, man, these are going to be key questions to evaluate where we're at in our walk, um, right? This, this evaluation of, man, what it, how, what's my health level? Tyler last week shared a story about just his, I mean, obviously we all know he's ridiculously unhealthy, you know, you just look at him and you realize, God, guy's really unhealthy. Um, but, but doctors telling him, hey, this was a while ago before he was a, such the machine that he is, uh, just in this place where doctors said, hey, man, you You've got some imbalance. You need to check some, kind of taking some vital signs and realizing, okay, there's some imbalance here. Spiritually, there are questions that we as a church want to ask uh, our flock and ask ourselves. And Tyler and I will admit, man, it's been a convicting series to preach. Because every week we get up here and, and we're preaching um, one of these questions. And all week in sermon prep, I'm just getting my butt kicked, thinking, golly, I really want and need and desire to grow in every single area that we've tackled. Uh, so we're certainly not above it. Um, but we've been asking those questions, and tonight is the last week of that series. And uh, tonight we're going to ask uh, the question, I'm going to ask you the question, do you grieve over your sin? Do you grieve over the sin uh, in your life and your sin? And that's kind of abstract. Let me quickly kind of try to unpack what I mean, uh, just by just the idea of grieving, lightly at least. Uh, I'm a Mavs fan, right? And yeah, it's great, until last night. Uh, when the Mavs got killed by the Rockets. Don't hi- There's no high-fiving. There's no high-fiving involved in the story right now. Um, 
So the Mavs got killed, and so it was the first round of the playoffs, and they got eliminated. So they're out as of last night. And my, the idolatry that I have for the love for the Mavericks isn't as great in my life, so it wasn't as big of a deal. It used to send me into a bender for like a week whenever they lost, whereas now that's not quite the case anymore. Um, but there was a level of like, ah, grief. You know, like they lost my team. They, there they were. I blame Rondo. It's just a mess, right? Um, another area, just kind of a light element that I think we can attach to, okay, that's what grief looks like, is apparently uh, Dr. McDreamy this last week, right? He died. He died. I don't know, some Grey's Anatomy character. Now, there are people in the room who's like, wow, what a spoiler alert, right? Huge spoiler alert. If you didn't know that Dr. McDreamy, whatever his name is, that character on Grey's Anatomy died, then good for you for not having social media, and, and welcome back to America, because I don't watch the show or care about the show at all, and I don't even try to hang out with people who like the show. No clapping for that either. <clears throat> and yet, I probably got told by 50 different people in the last two days. When did this air? A couple days ago? Okay, last week. I've been told by so many people, yeah, the doctor's so sad. All over the internet, it's like, bring him back to life. Like, people are signing petitions. People are more concerned with the fictional character dying than, like, the Baltimore situation. There's a serious imbalance in our world. And so if you didn't know that and I just spoiled it for you, where have you been? It's, and I don't know exactly the details, but he died. Did he die? That's what it was. He's dead. Okay. Car wreck, right? Uh, yeah, right. He died from a traumatic brain injury. Traumatic brain injury. And he's a doctor. Yeah, he's a neurosurgeon. How ironic. Anyway, <clears throat> there were a lot of people who lost some sleep over that. There were a lot of people who were super upset and grieving and signing petitions to try to bring back the character from Grey's Anatomy. Um, <clears throat> okay, grief. I think, I think we identify in, in a surface level what grief is. Here, um, here's, here's what grief looks like for our sin, when we grieve over our sin. <clears throat> so some of you know my story. Some of you know my wife, incredible, godly woman. She's the one running around with, uh, with, the, little, with the little guy out there, Charlie, uh, during the dinner time, the super cute, curly-headed kid. That's my son. Um, so when we were dating, when we were dating, and those of you who've seen us on relationship panels and stuff, we, we want to be vulnerable about our mistakes, we really wrestled with a lot of boundaries, a lot of physical boundaries and crossing those physical boundaries. And so as I am trying to be a godly man pursuing this godly woman, there was plenty of times in our relationship where I sowed disobedience into my relationship with this godly woman. And, and I brought sin into our relationship, wasn't uh, godly, disciplined, mature enough to lead her in some ways. And so because of that, I, I reaped some, some major sin in that, and there were some major consequences in our relationship. Um, it's it's kind of easy to tell that story, um, and maybe even a little cheating to tell that story, because man, praise God how he redeemed that and brought us through that. And I, you know, he's really redeemed us. We got married. We have an awesome kid, and it's, it's awesome now. So I think it's easy to be like, oh, well, that happened, and there's no real consequences. There was real consequences. Um, and there was a real grief that happened, even in our relationship, that really was divisive in our relationship, not just between ourselves in the intimacy that it wrecked, but more importantly, in our walks with the Lord. Both of our walks with the Lord, for those seasons where we're like, man, we're going to do it our way and not God's way, um, man, it just, it wrecked our intimacy with him and really hijacked it. And there were seasons where I really spent grieving over that sin, thinking, man, what, have I, what am I doing? What am I sowing into our relationship? Um, praise God for grace. But that is a, is a little bit of the taste that I think a lot of us can identify with, do we grieve over our sin? And what does that look like? And, and what is that scale? 
here's, a, here's something I want to say, because here's what just happened to at least a, a section of this room. <clears throat> oh, great. Here's the sermon where I get beat up about my sin again. I am so burned out by churches that have just made me feel so awful, misplaced shame, misplaced guilt. Man, where's the grace if, if that's you, right, if you're instantly already stirred up because you, oh, I see where this is going. This is going to be the how wicked is sin and you've got to grieve about it and you're broken and this, stay with me. Um, stay with me. We're going to get there. Uh, don't leave yet, for one, because I want you to hear, uh, I want you to hear, Grace, I want you to hear the end of it. But, uh, but that's the question. And it's a, it's a really healthy question um, to ask. And, and Tyler and I really are challenged that you really wrestle with this question uh, tonight and this week of what does that grief look like? So, easy outline. Uh, we're going to jump into Scripture. I'm going to propose what Scripture would say of how healthy, uh, how healthy it is to grieve over sin, and then I'm going to ask two questions. Uh, I'm going to ask the question, what, is, what does that look like? Right? If it is a healthy thing to grieve over our sin, then what does, health, what does grief look like in a godly way? Does that mean we should always sulk, have our head down? What does that look like? And secondly, the question I want us to ask is, what if I'm not grieving over my sin? Then what? How do I get to that place? If it really is the healthy thing, if okay, I see what it's supposed to look like, but I'm not there, how do I get there? That's where we're going tonight. You guys down? Nice. Okay. First Peter 13, 16. That's where we're going to start. We're going to be all over Scripture because that's all we got. You guys don't want me. You need Scripture. Um, so First Peter 13, 16. If you've got your Bibles, if not, I'm going to read it over you. Um, First Peter's in the back of the book. It's like one of the last books. Revelation's the last one. Then you got the, the little Johns, John 1, 2, and 3. And then right before that, huh? First uh, Peter 1, I'm sorry, First Peter 1, 13 through 16. Did I say First Peter 13? <laughs> there is no First Peter 13, suckers. <clears throat> good catch, Adam, seriously, good catch. Um, okay, First Peter 1, 13 through 16. If you got it on your phone, if you got it there, here, here we go. Therefore, Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me, uh, let me unpack this for a second. Do you grieve over your sin? Let's define what sin means. First Peter 1 unpacks this idea of sin as as being unholy. God is our standard. And he says, be holy as I am holy. So the sin in our life is the places that, it's not just the list of things that we've been told in church or the, the things we're not supposed to do and the things we are supposed to do that we're not doing. It's how are we not measuring up to the greatness and perfection of God? Don't be conformed to the passions of this world, it says. Uh, man, that's so good. Our, all of the ways that we sin, the things that we should be grieving about, are these areas of imperfection, our God is holy, we are not, be perfect as he is perfect. Are we doing that? Are we measuring up to that? Um, now, do we grieve over that? I have, uh, I have lost loved ones. Um, I have lost people in my life um, that I was not ready to lose to death uh, in this life. And I was not ready to let them go. And, and, they, and God said, they're, they're coming. And that has been... For all of us who have experienced that kind of a loss, is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to swallow. Uh, what it produces in me, honestly, um, is hatred for death. When I lose someone I love to death, 
It makes me hate death. It makes me frustrated. There's periods of mourning. There's, there's uh, periods of just anger that death took something that I wasn't ready to give up. I want that back. I want to go back to that place where I had that relationship. So when we ask the question, do we grieve over sin? That's what we mean when we talk about grief. All of those feelings, that hatred for death, that mourning, we package that together. And that's this picture of grief that we're asking you about. Do we have that level of hatred for our sin? Do we look at the ways that we don't measure up? Do we look at the ways that, um, that God is perfect and we are not? And we see him on his throne and we see his perfection. We see how good he is. And we see our disobedience. Do I have that level of hatred of, God, I hate this because it's taking me away from what I really want, him, more of him. I hate this thing in my life that's robbing me of life. I hate this death. Um, Psalm 97.10, let me read it over you. O you who love the Lord, the psalmist says, hate evil. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of the saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Increased sensitivity to your sin, it's a mark of spiritual growth. Our increased sensitivity to our sin is a mark of spiritual growth. Romans 12, 9. Let me read it over you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let your love be genuine. Hate what's, hate what's evil. Do I have that kind of godly hatred? Do I have that perspective of my sin? Even the life of the Apostle Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul in the New Testament is just a stud. I mean, just, I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. Um, he has in Acts these incredible encounters with God. He gets to see the second heaven, whatever that means. He gets all of these incredible... I mean, he is... If you were ranking Christians, I mean, you've got to put Apostle Paul, certainly at the time of the New Testament was being pinned, up near the top, right? If that's how it worked. And yet, what does he say? He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying. This is at the end of his life he's writing to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The Apostle Paul had an honest perspective of his own personal sin and recognized, man, I am the worst sinner. I am chief of sinners. There is something going on in the New Testament around sin and around godly people who, uh, who are wrestling with sin that, um, that's really challenging for me. Uh, it's this hatred for sin. A.W. Pink said this. He says, It's not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors of faith. Grieving over sin is a good and maturing thing. Let me, um, let me slide over to this whiteboard here. I get giddy just walking up to a whiteboard because I love them so much. Love them. Um, okay. <clears throat> I'm not sure how to stand. I won't turn my back on you guys, but I'm going to. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Here's a little bit of the, a picture of just the sanctification, our process, uh, the sanctification process in our lives. Um, I, um, I think the first time I saw this was in a resource called Gospel-Centered Life, I think is what it's called. Um, but really, it's just throughout the history of Christianity, guys have been illustrating this in different ways. Um, in our life, there's a, if we are believers, there's a point of conversion, right? We're, we're trekking along life, right? And then there's this point of conversion. Can you guys see? You can't see it. But you, you've got this figured out. You know what's going on. Um, 
you're checking along life, and there's a point of conversion. Maybe this point of conversion is at 5, maybe it's at 35. It's the point where the gospel clicks, where you surrender your life over to the Lord, and you say, man, this life is no longer my own, but it's, it's Christ who lives in me. It's picking up your cross and following him. It's saying, Lord, I, not me, but you. It's this, it's this point of conversion that happens in our life for those who are believers. Um, before that, right, before we're believers, there's a a reality that we don't really grieve over sin. Now, we might be upset with ourselves that we didn't live up to our own standard, but the reality is before the Holy Spirit comes and seals us, um, our perspective with sin is, our relationship with sin is completely different. Point of conversion happens. And then two things should happen in theory for a maturing believer. One is this line right here. Continues to increase. So this is over time. And this line uh, is the uh, awareness you're not going to be able to read those words anyway. Um, I write so tiny. It's the awareness of God's holiness. This line in our life should continue to increase in the chart of our life more and more and more. Let me explain how that works. Um, I'm 32, so in 10 years when I'm 42, I should, if I'm properly growing and maturing and diving into the Word and the best case scenario is that I have 10 more years of understanding even more how holy God is than I do right now. My understanding of God's holiness now as a 32-year-old should be even greater than when I was a 22-year-old. In a month, I want, I desire to have more and more awareness of how good God is, how holy, how righteous, how so far beyond me this God that I worship and love is. Now, he's not growing in holiness He's there, right? He's arrived. I'm growing in my awareness of how good God is. So this is an awareness line. Every day, I want to know more and more how great and righteous and perfect and worthy of my praise this God is. That is a line that is going to push me towards maturity. Here's the other line in this chart. And this is the one that we're really kind of camping out on. This is the one that uh, the question of do you grieve over your sin really applies to. It's this line. This is awareness of God's holiness. This line going down is the awareness of my sin. The awareness of my depth of my sin should increase more and more and more, broadening that chasm more and more and more. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, again, this is awareness. This isn't, oh, so a mature believer should sin more and more and more. No, no. I should be more and more aware of how in need of a Savior I am how broken without him I am, how my flesh, if just left to myself, been, is wicked and in need of a Savior. Look at Paul. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, in 1 Timothy, says, I am the chief sinner. The Apostle Paul, by the end of his life, has this awareness that, man, I, because his sensitivity to sin is so great, right? It's like the person who like eats clean, and they're such a clean eater. I am not that person, obviously. Um, but it is like the person who eats clean. And then all of a sudden they like eat like a pizza. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can feel that. right? It's just awful. And you, it's The sensitivity, because they're so in shape, their diet is so refined, they can feel the fact that they just ate three pizzas. And it's like, wow, this feels weird. Um, this is the awareness of our sin. <clears throat> Here's why this isn't a total bummer tonight. <clears throat> because of this. The cross of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the grace of God that bridges this chasm in our life. Man, the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did bridges this gap to where, man, I stink, right? Like this bottom line, I stink. God is so good. 
I am, I am far from him without Christ Jesus. But through Jesus Christ, I am confident in my sonship. I am a co-heir with him. I can walk in this confidence. And that leads us to worship. That leads us to live our lives in obedience. That leads us to pour our life out as a drink offering because that is amazing. And what happens if these lines mature in the way that we, we desire, in the way the scripture calls them to mature, what happens is that cross keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger in our life. The cross of Jesus, the grace of God that bridges that gap, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so all of a sudden, maybe when I was first saved, I was like, yeah, man, I, I need Jesus to bridge the gap between us, and I can't do it on my own, and I need Jesus. And then maybe 10 years later, it's like, wow, thank God for saving me. I didn't even know how bad I needed him. But I am more aware than ever of how good he is and how the depths of my sin. This leads us to sanctification and worship. Here's the danger. The danger is we become a church, a people, an individual who plateau this bottom line. We don't grow that bottom line. We get to a place somewhere in our walk, maybe somewhere in our church attendance, our involvement in church, somewhere where we just think, ah, okay, I'm good. Like I'm, I mean, like I've, I've, I'm going to stop doing these things, but I'm, I'm pretty good. And the way we deal and interact and grieve over sin starts to kind of be shoved aside. And what it does is it shrinks the cross. That's the picture that we're unpacking. That's what we see in First Peter. That's what we see in the New Testament. That's what we see in this book. This idea that this is a making much of God. Our lives should be making much of God. So do we grieve over the things that God grieves over? Do we hate the things that he hates? Do we recognize how far we are from him? Not so that we can hang our head, not so we can be total downers, but so that we can worship the grace that we have in Jesus that much more. Because that's where we get our confidence from. Not from my own self-righteousness. Um, my fear is... Uh, is, yeah, the, the plateauing of the line. And, and really my fear is uh, this idea that I see in my own life at times, I tend towards, um, it's, this, it's this grace gone wild picture in my life. It's, well, I know that God is gracious. I know the cross. Uh, we're going to preach the grace of God, Tyler and I, every time we get up here. Um, we're going to talk about the gospel, and the, we are saved by grace, through faith, grace alone. Don't hear me say anything else tonight. But if we want to mature do we increase our awareness of how big that grace is? Or are we content just kind of shrinking it and saying, yeah, I definitely need Jesus, but how big is that cross going to be uh, in our life? And do we buy into this grace gone wild? Oh, okay, I'm good, so I can just kind of keep on sinning. Are you grieving over your sin? It's healthy. It produces maturity. It is the sanctification process, and without it, you're going to plateau that line. Two questions I told you we'd ask, remember? Um, the two questions, the first one is, uh, what should this grieving look like? Right? What's this look like? Talk about it. Okay, in theory, fine, I'm supposed to increase in my awareness of, of my sin, sensitivity, grieving. What's it look like, right? Um, does this mean like we should just hang our heads down and just kind of sulk? Let me, uh, let me try to unpack that. <clears throat> Should we always be grieving over our sin? Yes and no. Mark 1, Jesus. God, 
I love Jesus. Jesus, he shows up and he says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe. His call to us as believers, uh, his call to his people, um, was he walked around and said, repent and believe. Repentance and belief is not just something that happens at conversion. It's something that is consistent throughout our life as believers. Daily we say, what are the things that I need to give up and what are the truths that I need to believe to step into that, believing in his grace? So in a way, yeah, I should grieve over my sin in a daily way. But let me talk about the posture of that grief. Because I don't mean we should sulk, right? Um, and if we're sulking, if, uh, if we recognize our sin, maybe we're convicted tonight, maybe you, know, you are, are really aware, man, some ways that you were disobedient to the Lord, some sin in your life that you brought up. If that grief turns to sulking and turns to, oh man, then what you're doing is you're making it about you. Sulking is about you, and it reveals that it is a you-centered grief, whereas godly grieving makes it about him. Um, let me explain. If, if Tyler, my boss, comes into my office and corrects me, and says, hey, man, I need to call you out on something. Uh, you know, you're not doing this in the, in the way I ask you to do, or you're not doing this in the right way. I have two responses. Right? I can say, oh, man, oh, golly, this stinks. I'm sorry. You know, I can be defensive, and then I can just kind of sulk. Golly, Tyler thinks less of me now, and, oh, man, this is, I just totally got called out. I go home, and I'm just taking that with me and bringing it home to my wife, and I'm like, yeah, I, I dropped the ball on this, and Tyler got mad at me, and, and there's a sulking element that goes to that, and that's real natural. It's absolutely natural to me because that's my sin. And what I'm really saying when I do that, when we do that, what we're really saying is this thing's about me. This thing is about my track record and Ben being great. And, oh, man, somebody saw that Ben wasn't great. It's not an awareness of how jacked up Ben is. The godly perspective, what we see throughout Scripture, what we see in 1 Peter, what we see Paul's attitude, what we see in Romans 12, 9, what we see is a perspective where if Tyler calls me out in theory, I'm not saying I always am quick to respond this way, but I could say, praise God, oh, you're so right. You're so right, and you know why I did that? Because I stink, because I'm a sinner, because I'm broken, because I'm unorganized, because I lack discipline, because of Ben. Ben and the flesh of Ben, that is such a product of me, man. And I, you're right, and I want less of Ben and more of me. In fact, I want to kill Ben, because that's what I signed up for whenever I became a believer, was to kill Ben and be alive in Christ. I am, the life I live is no longer my own. It's Christ who lives within me. And so the picture of baptism is, let me be dead with you in your burial, Jesus Christ, and let me be alive in your resurrection, and you live in me. So I want more of you. You're right, Tyler. Let's hug. This is awesome. Because that rebuke and that critique and that sin that's being called out and brought into the light by a brother, it's, it's, it's pointing to me. And the gospel says, yeah, I should be able to brag about my weakness. I'm not saying I always do that. That's what it looks like to, uh, to, to be able to unpack and to be able to respond to that kind of thing. If you don't think you're doing that bad, it's going to be hard to receive truth. If I've built a pretty self-righteous, good track record, and somebody calls me out, and I think, man, I'm doing good, and somebody calls me out, it's going to be hard for me to receive hard truth from them. Because I've made this thing about me rather than less of me, none of me, all about him. This is key to our growth. <clears throat> Do we see sin rightly? Do we see sin the way the Bible does? Right? Do we see sin the way, or do we see it the way the Bible does, or do we see it the way that I'm most comfortable uh, seeing it? 
I have a, a friends of mine, married couple, and, um, and I, they tell the story about this fight they had. And I love the example. It is, um, they tell a story, they're arguing, yelling at each other. They love Jesus, awesome couple. Um, I've gotten to do ministry with them some, but they, uh, they're yelling at each other. And the, the wife, she says, um, she, you know, they're, they're bickering, and she says, when you say that, it makes me sound like a selfish person, right? And they're arguing. And the husband says, you are a selfish person. And it's like, what? And the way they tell this story, which is, it shows their godliness, it shows that was a breakthrough for her because she is fighting with her husband. No, I'm not selfish. No, hey, you did this. No, I'm not. No, it's, it's me. I'm not. You can't poke that hole in me. And instead, the breakthrough was her husband lovingly tell her, but you are a sinner. And that's okay. I love you. I am committed to you. I still like you. That's, and this breakthrough of, oh, okay, yeah, I I am a sinner. Oh, yeah, okay, I am. Imp- oh, yeah, that line does need to increase, doesn't it, more and more and more. But I'm not afraid of that line decreasing because of the power of the grace of God. So I want to brag in about how low I can get that line because the lower that line gets and the higher the top line gets of his holiness, the bigger grace is in my life. So grieving over sin doesn't have anything to do with the rejection of grace. It has to do with the celebration of grace. And if we pout and sulk because of grieving over sin, then what we're doing is we're saying we're doing this in our own accord and our own self-righteousness. And that's a dangerous, volatile, scary place to be, to constantly protect yourself and protect the image of yourself to other people, to not be vulnerable, to not be real. And if somebody starts to see your sin, that is scary because you've got to... You've got to get the PR team out there to make sure you get it covered up and, and make sure you got an excuse for it. Um, we see that sin in ourselves. Uh, we get that sin called out by others and we repent and then we believe. We believe in the grace of God. We believe that even though we're sinners, God's grace abounds more and more and more. Repent and believe. And it's a daily process in our life. Now, if I jump quickly into just believing grace, if I... If I jump into, okay, man, I mess up. Oh, I know God saves me, right? I know I'm good. I know I've got the grace of God in my heart. Then, um, then what I've done is I've jumped into license. That's what I've done. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's scary. And you can't always tell what that looks like. So what does real repentance look like? If repentance is such a key for this, um, what does real repentance look like? <clears throat> it looks like change, right? Like I could easily fake it with Tyler. And I could say, hey, he calls me out on something. Oh, man, I'm so sorry about that. But how does he really know I'm really repentant? I'm apologizing. How does he know there's really repentance? There's change in my life. I go, um, I wrestle, you know, who knows what the sin is you wrestle with? Um, it, it might look like, I hate this sin. I recognize it in my life. I need you to have the code to my phone so I can't look at things on the internet without running it by you. I need to have this filter on my computer because I don't trust myself because I know what I'm capable of and I know that that leads to death and I hate it. So have, have this game plan to say, please help me. I know I'm weak. I know he's worthy. I want to fight for that. I hate that sin. So here, have, have this program to filter my computer. I, I hate gossiping about other people, but I do it. But I recognize how wicked it is and how perverse it is and how against what God calls me. Would you ask me, roommate, every night, how'd today go? Did you gossip about anything? And maybe that feels silly, but it only feels silly if we don't really feel the weight of our sin. So we identify our sin and then we repent for it. And if we really 
recognize what an abomination it is to God and how worthy he is and also how much he loves us despite it, then shouldn't that want to motivate us to walk away from that? Shouldn't the fact that my wife loves me no matter what I do, if I don't clean the dishes, if I don't pick up after myself, man, my wife's incredible. She, she's still going to stay married. She's still going to love me. But that love and that kindness that she shows me, it pushes me towards repentance. It pushes me towards I want to do the dishes because of the way my wife loves me. I want to bless her. I want to repent because of grace, the kindness of God. Um, okay. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. Um, I'm going to read it over you. Um, it's a few verses, but uh, it's kind of the last thing I'm going to say in this section of um, unpacking what it looks like, and then we're just going to end with application and get back to worship. Verse 8 in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians says this. Paul says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, to... What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. How do you respond to sin being called out in your life? If you don't have somebody calling out sin, if you're in community, if you're in a small group, you're like, man, I don't really have people calling out sin. Real quickly, let me just tell you, change that. Change. I'm not saying get a new group of friends. I'm saying go to the group of friends you have and say, hey, could we call out our sin better? Could we make sure that if there's blind spots, you tell me because it's that big of a deal. Because I love God that much and it's that big of a deal. And I hate it that much. I don't want it. So will you call me out when you see something? And then when you're walking in those relationships, how do you respond to that sin being called out? Do you respond with zeal? Do you respond with longing for more righteousness? If you don't, there's a good chance that your grief is actually just worldly and not godly. Last question, and really this is just application. What do we do if we don't grieve over sin? We're unpacking this, and you're thinking, okay, this is good. I agree maybe theologically with this. It's scripture, biblical, okay. But I don't know that I really grieve over sin. Um, John Owen, who wrote the book Mortification of Sin, which is probably, uh, outside of the 66 books of the Bible, probably one of the top three or four transformational books in my life. If you really want to dig into this concept of this sermon of the idea of grieving, read that book. It wrecks you. It, the chapters are super short, but it takes me hours to wrestle through them because it just is a, it's a kick in the butt because he makes sin, he reveals it to me what it really is. Get that book. It's, uh, it's awesome. John Owen says this, I do not understand how a man can be a true believer in whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. That's heavy, heavy language. He's like, man, if we don't grieve over sin, do we really believe in Christ? Do we really believe in what we signed up for with the gospel? So if we don't grieve over sin, uh, my first application, my first answer to that would be make sure you understand the gospel. Um, that, what I just said, has a very high possibility of offending some people in this room. Wait, because I don't grieve over sin, you think I don't understand the gospel? 
I don't know, man. That's between you and the Holy Spirit, right? I know that I have not arrived in this line. I know that I have so much growth. But if you bought into the idea of, hey, just you want to go to heaven. Somebody said, you want to go to heaven? Just accept Jesus into your heart. Um, And there was no realization of the sin that separates us from God. Then, yeah, I would say, look into the gospel. Look into the gospel. We are separated from him. He is good. We are fallen. Through Christ Jesus, we have a right relationship with him. Two, ask God to show you the reality of your sin. Um, Tonight, like we've been doing through the rest of these series, we won't do it every night, but through the series, we wanted to give you guys a runway to talk to the Lord afterwards. So tonight, we're going to have a time where, man, you can stay in this room as long as you want, and and we're going to play, and and they're going to lead worship over us. And then after it's done, you can sit here, and they're going to continue to play over you. Do business with God. Talk to the Lord. Um, ask him to show you, to reveal sin in your life. Maybe that's going to be really easy because he's already poking at you. Maybe it's going to be harder. What, what does that look like? Three, um, I'm going to challenge you. Uh, this has a, been a big thing for me in my life and my desire to get better at this. Pray through Psalm 52. Uh, pray through all the Psalms, but uh, Psalm 52 is uh, especially um, poignant. Um, it's, uh, it's a Psalm of David. Um, and it is, a, it is a picture of uh, grief. Um, Psalm 51 is, uh, is when David sins against Bathsheba. Pray over that. Uh, spend some time really wrestling through Psalm 51, Psalm 52, how uh, David has sinned in his confession before the Lord. Um, the band is going to come up. In fact, you guys can come on up. Um, they're going to come on up and they're going to play a song. Um, and this song is going to be the lyrics of Psalm 51. Um, and uh, yeah, if you guys want to grab that thing. This was David's confession. This was his heartfelt confession before the Lord. Uh, spend some time with that. It's heavy. The last thing, two things I want to say for you to be thinking about as, as these guys start to play. Meditate on the fact that your sin nailed the holy sinless one to the cross. I want to grieve over my sin more. You want to grieve over your sin more? You want to grow in that? You want to go from a four to a seven? You want to go from an eight to a nine? Meditate on the fact that our sin nailed our sinless Savior to the cross. Out of his grace and mercy, he took my penalty. He took what I deserved. I deserved that punishment. You deserved that punishment. And he took it from me. We meditate on that. And then finally, um, I'm going to challenge you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. This isn't something that just happens at conversion and then we coast. If we want to grow, all of these vital signs... If we want to grow and be believers who are continuing to look more and more like Jesus, preach this gospel. This idea that your line is decreasing, your awareness of how much you need him and how good he is, and then let the grace of God overwhelm you. Overwhelm you. If you are here tonight and you feel beat up because you know your sin, you feel the weight of your sin, then don't stay in that sulking place. Apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to that thing. Let me, let me pray, and then, uh, and then we're just going to continue in the same vein of worship. Father, we love you. Uh, we need you. Lord, uh, we want to grow. We want to look more like you. Um, Father, would we grieve over our sin in a godly way? Would we, we'd be a community of people who, uh, who don't sulk, <laughs> who, who don't make this about us, uh, who, who aren't self-righteous to the point where, oh no, we're getting holes poked in ourselves, but we brag about our weakness. 
because it makes much of you. Lord, would my brothers and sisters be able to worship tonight and do business with God tonight and do um, confess before you, recognizing you as a gracious, gracious God. That's the God we confess to. That's the God that we take our grief to. Not a God who's got his arms folded and says it's about time. A God who takes sin so seriously, but so seriously that he sent his son to the cross. Father, thank you for that. Lord, would you just allow us tonight to worship? Uh, Would you allow us, uh, as Psalm 51 is sung over us, to hear these lyrics, your word, to be able to sing, to be able to listen, uh, to be able to respond to repentance and belief in your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray.